scarce. I guess maybe in the back of my mind, I knew it. But it's not something really that was in the front of my mind until we started talking about this Sunday. How many of you knew that uh, one out of every nine people on the planet does not have access to clean water? You knew. You're it. Yeah. But, but you're also from Nigeria, so you probably have a little bit more awareness than the rest of us about this. I mean, the, the idea that, that waterborne disease, disease caused by drinking contaminated water, kills more children under the age of five than any other cause around the world. I didn't know that. Every 15 seconds, a child dies because they don't have access to clean water. I didn't know that. What I do know is that Jesus wants us to do something about it. That wherever Jesus went, he brought healing, especially to children. And I also know that Jesus taught us to see those in need in a special way. When we see somebody in need, who are we supposed to see? Well, I don't hear a lot of people knowing the answer to that question. That's right, Matthew 25. He taught us that whenever we see one of the least of these, one of, somebody in need, and specifically, he mentioned two things. He said, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was sick, and you took care of me. And the people that he's talking to. So when did we see you thirsty? When did we see you sick? He said, whenever you saw somebody in need, that was me. That Jesus would look at this current global water crisis and he would apply these words to the crisis. And he would say, I was sick because I didn't have clean water and you drilled a well for me. So I know that what we are doing this morning, raising $5,500 to drill a well for a village that doesn't have one, just like that village in that video, is very pleasing to him. Very pleasing to him. You know, water, water is not something that, I don't ever think about water, unless, of course, a hurricane's coming, right? And then I might have too much water. But when it comes to drinking water, I don't know about you, but I, it's like, okay, where's the water fountain? Because there's got to be one around the corner. Or I go to the tap and I pour myself a glass of this stuff. And I never, ever think, well, I wonder if this is safe to drink. It just never crosses my mind. It's just automatic that I have water. But in the Middle East, where Jesus lived, where the Bible was written, they spent a lot of time and they still spend a lot of time thinking about water because it's precious, it's scarce, and you need it constantly to live. When Israeli soldiers are on maneuvers in the desert, they tell the new recruits, you have got to drink a pint of water every hour while you're out on maneuvers. You can read the pages of the Bible and see the most ancient of tribes fighting wars to control the wells because whoever controlled the wells could feed their children, could feed their flocks, 
could keep everybody healthy. Experts say that in the future, nations in the Middle East won't be fighting wars over oil. They'll be fighting wars over who controls the sources of water. In the desert, there is nothing more precious. Water is life, and without it, neither people nor cities nor nations last very long. So you can see throughout the Bible, the image of water is a very powerful one. And it's usually portrayed as somehow connected to God. Psalm, the very first psalm, the very first worship song listed in the Bible, Psalm 1 says, They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each in each season. Their leaves never, never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. In other words, people that are connected to God, the Bible says, are like trees in the desert that have roots, that have access, constant access to water. Even though they go through all these hard times, even though the rain might not be falling, even though they are going through difficulties, they continue to be okay because they are connected to the source of life, which is God. The Bible says it so strongly that the Bible can compare our thirst for water to our need for God and compare God to water. One of the better known verses in the Bible is probably the first one in Psalm 42, which says this, As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before him? God is life. Water is life. And they bring the images there together. And the Bible just kind of builds on those images until you get this idea of of God sharing his life with the entire world. And he begins to do that through the ancient prophets declaring what he wants to do, and he often uses these same images. Isaiah 35 puts it this way. It says, when he comes, meaning God, he will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. You have this idea that God intends to heal this broken world and he uses this image of water in the desert. He deepens this more and more as the life of the prophets continues. And in the prophet Ezekiel, he uses this image. He says, in my vision... The man brought me to the entrance of the temple, and I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. Now, in the time of Ezekiel, the temple was the place where heaven and earth came together. It was the place where the presence of God dwelt. So what this image, what the image that God is painting is that out of his presence is going to flow life out into the world. He goes on to put it this way in the same vision. He says, Through the desert this river will flow and into the valley of the Dead Sea. Now I know I've got some Bible scholars in this crowd, and so you know a little bit about the Dead Sea. 
Why is it called the Dead Sea? There's too much salt in it, and it kills everything. Too many minerals. Yeah, the cause of that is because there's no outlet, so there's no, no way for the, 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 the minerals to, uh, to get out. So they just build up and build up. And if you've ever been to the Dead Sea, there are these huge pillars of salt. Just ex- you, can't even, you can't even get under the water. You just sit there and float on top because it's, it's got so much uh, salt in it. And because of that, there's no fish in it. Nothing can live in it, or very little can live in it. And what this passage is going to say is that this river, matter of fact, why don't you just show them the next verse? It says that because this river flowing from the temple is going to flow out, it's going to flow into the Dead Sea. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of the river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh and life will flourish wherever this water flows. So, you know, did, if you know anything about the geography of Israel, you know, the, the whole, I mean, the, it's a tiny place. I mean, we think of, you know, great big distances because we live in, in Houston, but actually Harris County is actually wider than the entire nation of Israel in several places. And the Dead Sea is right below Jerusalem where the temple was, very different elevation, but right below it. And so the people would have all known what the Dead Sea was like. And the idea that this could ever become a place that was actually filled with fish and life would have just seemed like the strangest idea to them. And the point God is making is wherever his presence flows out into the world, he is going to turn dead places alive again, you see. And uh, during the time of Jesus there were these festivals that were celebrated in Jerusalem, temple festivals. And everybody would have come to the temple, which again, remember, is the place where heaven and earth come together and the presence of God dwells. And they would all come to Jerusalem for these festivals. And one of the festivals was called the Festival of Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths. And in one of the ceremonies during the festival... The priests would have taken water and they, in front of all the people, would have poured the water out around the altar, reminding people of the promises that God has made, that out of his presence is going to come the water of life, the water of healing. Out of his presence, his life is going to flow out into the world. And they would have been reminded of that in a very visual way every year through that ceremony. Well, the New Testament tells about Jesus going up to Jerusalem for the Festival of Tabernacles when this water ceremony took place. And while he's there, he says something that would have been very, very dramatic to the people present. In John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, he says this. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood And shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now Jesus has done something very dramatic there, hasn't he? He's he's said now... 
Well, what, what exactly has he done there? Before it was the temple that was the place where heaven and earth came together. What is he saying here? He's saying that now he is the place where heaven and earth come together. He is the place where the presence of God most fully dwells. Basically, he's saying, I am the new temple. And what he's saying is now through him, God's healing life, his river is going to flow out into the world. Now, I don't know if you were paying any attention earlier on when I talked about that Isaiah passage, and it says, when he comes, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the deaf will hear, and the lame will walk. Did any of you pick up on the connection there and thought, well, that sounds a lot like somebody I know. Did anybody pick up on that? When he comes, and I said, that's God. Did any of you go, well, it sounds a lot like Jesus. But it also says that when he comes, springs will gush up in the wilderness. And you think, well, what, how did Jesus fulfill that? Well, he very much claims to fulfill it. And he says that rivers of life are going to flow out of him. And we think, well, what does he mean by that? Well, the next verse in John explains it to us. It says, what is this river of life that's going to flow out from Jesus? Verse 39 says, when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, which would be given to everyone in believing in him. Now we see how all of these passages out of the Old Testament are actually fulfilled in Jesus. That when we come to him in faith, The life of God that filled Jesus, he shares with us. We call that the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to flow in us. And when we allow him to, what he then begins to do is take all of those dead places in us and create new life. So... All the little dry areas of worry and anxiety, when we give those to him and his spirit flows through us, all of a sudden they become pools of peace and joy. And the little desert of anger and bitterness all of a sudden begins to bloom with with forgiveness. And that dry, barren place of despair that we've had for so long, all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, it's got all these watered places in it. It's changed, and all of a sudden, you've got hope where before you didn't have any. Have any of you ever watched one of the the, the nature shows on television, and they show you sort of in a time-lapse camera this dry desert area, and then you get one little brief shower, and then what happens? All the flowers come up. And that's what Jesus is saying happens when we come to him in faith. That his life, the presence of God, actually begins to flow and change. And all those little dead sea places in us are changed and transformed. That's a pretty amazing thing. It's an amazing promise. And he not only promises that, he says, you know, when I begin to flow in you, actually I will begin to flow through you. And change the world around you, just as 
the water flowed out of the temple in Ezekiel's uh, vision and begins to flow throughout the country. He says, you know, when I begin to bring life to you, I will use you to share life with other people so that you will begin to tell them where they can find eternal life and the things that I will do through you to bless other people. I will even use you to bless people thousands of miles away from you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? It's happening today because the water of the life of Jesus is flowing in you. You are actually going to make a difference in the life of a village in Nicaragua that has no idea that you even exist right now. That this day is actually showing us how the scriptures are fulfilled right in our sight. I just think that is amazing. Now, it is true that sometimes we do try to find life in a place other than God. Even when we know God. Even when we have had the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Sometimes we'll just kind of shut off the spigot a little bit and try to go and find our life somewhere else. God warns us about that through another one of his prophets. Using the same or similar imagery in Jeremiah this time. Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, You know, my people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can't hold water at all. Now, what's a cistern? Y'all know what a cistern is? You bet. Well, what is it? Yeah, it's, it's usually an underground storage system that will trap the water that's run off from rain or whatever and hold it there. In the ancient times, they built cisterns out of stone. I don't know what they build them out of now. Um, plastic? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But water that's held in one place and becomes stagnant, what happens to it after a while? It starts to smell. It doesn't taste very good. It becomes less healthy. And what God says to us is, look, my people have a tendency to stop drinking from the source. And you can think of God as this mountain stream constantly bubbling over with fresh water. He says, you guys have left the spring and you've gone to the cistern. You've left the good clean, pure water, and you've gone for the stagnant. We say, well, how do we do that? Well, anytime we try to get what we should be getting from God and get it from somewhere else, we're drinking out of the cistern. Anytime we try to get our sense of safety from somewhere other than God, think about all the ways that we try to feel safe. Or anytime we try to get our sense of just self-worth, and we need that, we need to feel like we matter, we try to get it from our friends, or we try to get it from our family, or we try to get it from our relationships, we try to get it, our self-esteem from our work or our performance, we try to get our sense of who we are from someplace other than God we're drinking out of a cistern. Or anytime we just try to find life's meaning, joy, purpose. And we try to find that in all kinds of places. Some places 
in and of themselves good, but they just can't replace God. And sometimes we go to really destructive places to find joy. And God says, this is not going to work. You've traded me for something inferior. Cisterns. And not only cisterns, it's not just that it's stagnant water. He says it's cracked cisterns. So what happens, you think, to a stone cistern that's supposed to be there and it gets a big crack in it? What happens? It's like drinking from a dry glass. You got nothing. So not only have you replaced me, you didn't get much for me. You got nothing. And we have a lot of people who spend their life frustrated and angry and frantic because they're trying to get their sense of joy and meaning and purpose and security from something that is just not there. Like drinking from a dry glass. And after a while they give up and they say, you know what? There is no peace, real lasting peace in this life. There is no lasting joy or self-satisfaction from this. We're thirsty for something that doesn't even exist. And God says, it does. But you got to put down those empty glasses and come to me. You see... You see, God doesn't say these things. He doesn't say these words in Jeremiah to shame us. He doesn't say them to make us feel bad. He just simply wants us to put down the empty glass and come to him. Jesus, look back at the words of Jesus in John. He says, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. Are there any qualifiers there? Some of you come. If you have done everything right, you may come to me. If you have never made any mistakes, you may come to me. <laughs> That's you. Never made any mistakes. All right. You want to come finish the sermon? Because, I mean, I, I have made mistakes. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm not. I'm, that, was, that was me being funny. <laughs> I was trying. <laughs> Anyone means anyone, no matter how, no matter who, no matter when, you are welcome. He says, anyone come to me and drink. And when we do, what we will find is something very special. Because as Jesus says to somebody else who's been looking for life in all the wrong places, he says to her, Anyone who drinks the water that I give. Oh, oh, go to the next one. Those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Mm-hmm.